Hey, Boulevard Church, Pastor Wes here. I'm really excited to see you guys, kind of. Uh, I can't see you, but you can see me, and that's half the battle, right? Uh, you look good today. That's just a fact. I'm so glad you're here, looking great. Uh, I'm really glad you didn't wear pajamas, but you're in a suit and tie. Just really prepared. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm, I'm wearing pajamas under the bottoms. I'm not, but... I know for a second that made you happy. But anyway, uh, I'm Pastor Wes with Boulevard Church, a church we take things very seriously around here. Um, and we've been going through a series, a three-part series that's going to last the entire year, setting the very foundation of Boulevard Church because we are still in the first year of our existence as Boulevard Church. And this foundational three-part series has been called The Three Pillars. What are the three pillars we are going to build the entire church on? Uh, so we want to go through them. The first one is our personal relationship with God. Boulevard Church exists to draw you closer to Jesus, to God, to being more aware of the Holy Spirit within you and how God operates in your life, drawing you into a rich and deeply personal relationship with God, not one where you have a relationship by proxy or you go to God just in the rough times. But we want you to fall in love with God and let him become a daily consistent part of your relationship. And then part two, the part that we're currently on, is your personal relationship with your church. We know that when Jesus died, he died to bring us into salvation and establish his church. And so it is of the utmost importance that if our body, Boulevard Church, Jesus Christ died for you, that I'm going to do everything I can to die for you as well. I'm going to die to myself to elevate you guys to become a part of a body, not lifting my own destiny by myself, but getting with a group of people as we walk forward and proclaim the name of Jesus. And our third uh, part, not in any particular order in the sense of importance, but in a particular order in the sense of uh, our personal walk with God, uh, lastly is evangelism. We want to be a church that reaches the lost. We want to be a church that feeds people. We want to be a church that when crisis hits, Boulevard Church becomes a beacon to help those in need. We, want, we don't want to be a church that picks you know, the cycles of Christians who go from church to church to church. I don't want to really join that rotation. I want to get on the streets and see people give their lives to Jesus and let that become the members of our church. I'm very excited about that. I'm very passionate about Boulevard Church evangelizing. Uh, but before we can get to that, we want to continue our second point in this series, which is your personal relationship with God, as we've been calling it, having a heart for your house. Uh, and so this week, I'm going to talk to you about being spirit-led. So the name of my sermon today, uh, it's not a fancy one, it's just being spirit-led uh, in our Heart for the House series. So I'm going to read two sections of scriptures to you, um, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to jump into some history today. Uh, so be excited about that. I promise it'll be important. I promise it'll change things. I promise it'll, it'll bring this text alive for you and really help us apply it to our own personal lives today. Uh, so without further ado, we're going to start in John chapter 5, verses 19 to 20. Um, full disclosure, uh, I won't be referencing this verse a lot today. I just want to give you an idea of what us as Christians, how we're supposed to operate. So John chapter 5, verse 19 to 20 goes like this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Uh, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. Uh, what does that mean? Jesus Christ, when he came onto earth, he didn't do anything unless he first saw God do it, right? Now, the Bible says that God is spirit, and so Jesus was being spirit led. He was looking to the Father. He was aware of what God was doing, of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus did nothing 
unless he first saw the Father do it. Now that us as Christians is what we're supposed to do, but we are supposed to be absolutely led by the Holy Spirit within our lives. We are supposed to only move and only operate when God is calling us to move and operate. Uh, and in times where it seems like God isn't moving and God isn't doing things, where it seems like he's quote unquote resting, well then that tells us, oh, I need to be quote unquote resting. When we see God moving through a city and through a nation, when we see revival beginning to rise up, we need to respond and become a part of what God is doing. Uh, now that is on a grand level, but it's also on a minor level in our individual lives. Your calling should only be uh, established by the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life and your awareness of God. So we want to be just as aware of the Holy Spirit as Jesus is aware of God the Father during his entire ministry, right? Now, like I said, I just wanted to do that to kind of set a groundwork or a framing for this message, uh, but actually we're going to really focus on Acts chapter 16 verses 6 to 10 today. So I'm going to read that to you and then we're going to pray, okay? You excited? If you're excited, say I'm excited. I can't hear you. I really can't hear you. Christina, say you're excited. I'm excited. That's right, Christina's excited. Is everyone else excited? Uh, please, by the way, if you haven't shared this message, please do. Uh, that means a whole lot to us. We want to reach people in need. Um, especially in these uncertain times, I absolutely am convinced that the answer to the people's need is the church, is Jesus, is a rising of people filled with the Holy Spirit to answer the needs of the people in their questions and in their personal life and their personal struggles. Um, so please share and give us an opportunity to be a part of that. It means so much to us and you mean so much to us and we're so grateful and it honors me so much uh, when you take the time to share my voice. It, it, it communicates uh, that um, there's an appreciation. It communicates that this is your church. It communicates that you're a part of this as well. And it's not just Pastor Wes carrying everything. Uh, but with that being said, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. I didn't make my jokes. Let me make it real quick. If you don't have your Bibles, Christina brought a Bible for you. You already saw it. It already popped up. Uh, but now she's going to bring the Bible again uh, for Acts chapter 16, verse 6 to 10. And uh, this week, she's going to hit all the Bible verses that are referenced. Um, it's going to be awesome. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. Uh, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Um, they, right now, is Paul uh, Silas and Timothy, I believe, but it's for sure Paul, um, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So look, what's happening is Paul was going one way and God stopped Paul from going that way. So Paul went a different direction and that's where we're at right now. So he went towards uh, Phrygia or Galatia or however you say it. And when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, Bithynia, Bithynia. I don't know how to say it, guys. I'm sorry, but it's on the screen, uh, and I'm gonna say Bith. I'm gonna say Bithynia because I've got to talk about this city for a little bit today. So we're just gonna call it that. And if I'm wrong, God is still good. Uh, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So once again, he's in a second place, and God is not allowing Paul to move. Uh, so passing by Messia, uh, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us 
Hear that shift? Uh, before this verse, everything was they, 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 they. And then we get into Troas, and then suddenly Luke says we. And so we know that Luke joined Paul here. This is the first time that we ever see the book of Acts shift into we. And we believe, probably, most scholars would say that Luke probably gave his life to Jesus in Troas. And jo Troas? Tro Troas. I'm going to say Troas. In Troas, uh, Luke probably gave his life to Jesus there and joined Paul in his missionary journey. Luke wrote Acts, and he wrote the book of Luke, and he was Paul's physician. He's very important to the overall story of the church and its growth. Um, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Um, dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. Uh, God, I pray that we would no longer be led by our emotions, our own desires, uh, or by the way we were raised, Father God, but us as Christians, Father God, we begin to die to ourselves because you are so good and your future and your plan for us is so much better than any future or plan that we could possibly have for ourselves. So I pray that we would be spirit-led, God, that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, would be the thing that guides this church. God, I pray you would guide me as I preach this message. I pray you would guide the people listening as they hear it, Father God, and that our spirits, uh, God, would respond to this. And this wouldn't be a message that we would just hear, but it would be a message that would change us and change the way we operate before you, God. I pray for Boulevard Church. I pray for all the other churches that might be tuning in and listening, God. Bless all of us, God, and give us the opportunity to shout your name and give us thank you for the honor of proclaiming your death, burial, and resurrection as one body united together. And in Jesus' name I say, amen. Amen. Can you guys say amen? I can't hear you. Can you say amen? All right, just say amen down in the comments, though. Um, so uh, I don't know if you've ever had this situation pop up, but this situation happens to me a lot. So I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it before we talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm married. You guys know that because it comes up in basically every single one of my sermons um, because I just can't stop talking about how married I am. It's so cool. My wife's hair is pink now, so that's a whole new adventure. Uh, she just did it uh, Thursday. Thursday? Friday. She did it Friday. And uh, I'm really excited about that. Like She is incredibly beautiful always, and then when she changes it up, it's like a different kind of beautiful, and but it's still freaking gorgeous. And so that I get to enjoy like a whole new... A whole new thing. It's so cool. It's so great. Uh, but I've been married. I've been enjoying it. Uh, but marriage, especially I would say in the first year, I think you come across a lot of points where you headbutt. Uh, maybe some people here haven't experienced that. And that's okay. God is good. Just because your marriage is perfect from the beginning doesn't mean all of us are, especially when you're someone like me who was extremely hyperly emotional, right? And, um, and so, you know, I communicate. I don't stop communicating. It's something that I've always said is I'm a bit of an expander, which basically means I only stop talking when it's absolutely necessary. Like, I will keep talking until I don't, until I can't anymore, until it's like physically impossible. Uh, but my wife is a condenser, uh, meaning that she only communicates when she absolutely has to, which is perfect because the few times I shut up, she gets to have a word in because it just we just layer perfectly. Um, and so I'm emotional. Uh, I throw things around. It's been a long time, uh, but in the first year of our marriage, especially as I was learning to like adult and realizing just how selfish of a person I was, uh, I was, you know, throwing fits, being all me centered a lot. And uh, my wife started doing a thing that really annoyed me. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys before. Uh, she would do, have me do something. Hey, babe, can you wash the dishes? Hey, babe, can you clean the bathroom? Hey, babe, can you vacuum? And I'm thinking, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to vacuum. I'm going to clean the dishes. I'm going to... Um 
I'm gonna vacuum, I'm gonna clean the dishes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna clean the bathroom, I'm gonna clean our bedroom, I'm gonna clean the living room, and then she's gonna be so grateful, little something, something's gonna happen, and like God is good, and God's gonna keep moving, and I'm proud to be an American, like it's just in a free country where I can do these things, it's just fantastic. But then here's what would happen, I would clean the dishes, I would walk away, and like an hour or so later, I'd hear the sink rushing, and I'll come out, and she's cleaning the dishes again. Now, not to brag or anything, but I was a dishwasher in a retirement home. What does that mean? I was a professional dishwasher. I was paid to wash dishes. She was not. She worked at Starbucks. What do you know about cleaning dishes to the level that I clean dishes? Uh, so I'm looking there offended, right? Like, how dare you reclean my dish that was perfectly clean? And so I walk up to her and I'm like, babe, what's happening? And she would say something like this. She goes, oh, you did a good job, but you just didn't do it my way. And I'm like, your way? What are you talking about your way? Is the dish clean? You admit it's clean, so there's no problem with the dish, so what's wrong? And, and I find the same thing happens with the room. I'll, I'll vacuum, I'll leave, and then uh, later, I'll hear the vacuum going. And I'm gonna run out, and it's like, what's going on? And she's like, oh, yeah, you did good, but you just didn't vacuum my way. And so you kind of hit a point where it's like, I'm not, Am I a mind reader? Is it my job to read your mind and know what's gonna happen? No, and I remember one time just looking to my wife and just finally being like, babe, how do you want me to do it? Tell me how to do it your way. Just tell me what to do. And if I can be totally honest, I think we have all had experiences like that where the people in our lives have expected us to be mind readers or uh, maybe, and here's a big maybe, Maybe you expect other people to read your mind. And we just kind of hit a point, right, when we hit our head against that kind of person where it's like, just tell me what to do. And what I think is so funny and unique about that is I think many Christians would have those exact same feelings towards God. It's like, God, if I knew what to do, I would just do it. If I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I would do it. Just tell me what to do. And I think that's something I think we can all kind of agree with. Um, and that's the point of the Holy Spirit, that when we're spirit-led, God is telling us what to do. Um, but I think so often when he's telling us what to do, we come up with various reasons, various thoughts, uh, various um, excuses for why we don't do what God's called us to do. And then we act like, oh, well, God wasn't very clear. But let's face it, deep down, we know exactly what God has called us to do. Uh, so I kind of want to take a notice. I want to use Paul as an example here, that we see Paul try to go in two separate directions and God stops him. And then finally, when Paul goes the right direction, God begins to speak. And I would argue that God was speaking to Paul the whole time. He just had his predisposition ahead. So just for a little bit of context, uh, when we first see where Paul's going towards Asia, here's what we see. When Paul first started his missionary journey, he was going in a line and working his way through Asia. This is his second missionary journey. And so he's trying to hit up all the churches he had hit before. And God goes along with the plan up until a certain point where Paul's plan and God's plan don't line up anymore. And so first, Paul is trying to go towards Ephesus. What's so interesting about this is if you read the book of Acts, Paul doesn't get to Ephesus for two more years. And so Paul was two years ahead of God's plan for Paul. Paul wasn't being spirit-led, he was being led by his own desires. And so the next thing that happens, <coughs> sorry about that, 
the next thing that happens is that Paul tries to shift his journey uh, towards, how do I say that? Um, towards, let's say, um, Bithynia, right? The one I said I was going to say a lot. Bithynia. He tries to go towards Bithynia. And you might ask yourself, why didn't Paul pray? Why did he instead choose to go to Bithynia? And here's why. Um, if you actually look into Bithynia, it is actually a strategic crossroads in the Roman Empire. Meaning that in this area, if we could plant churches and get Christians there, this would begin to spread all through the Roman providences. Uh, and so Paul looked and goes, oh, if God doesn't want me to go to Ephesus, he clearly wants me to go to Bithynia. Clearly, he would want me to go here where I would be the most effective. But as Paul begins to operate towards his wisdom versus God's wisdom, God blocks him again. And once again, God doesn't move. Here's a crazy thing about Bithynia. If you read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, that area, that's who Peter's writing to. Um, Paul uh, was trying to go fulfill a mission that God had given to someone else. Later, Peter's going to go there, and Peter's going to do uh, mission work there, and Peter's going to plant churches there, and Peter's going to pastor over that area. And Paul is almost missing his call because he's trying to walk in someone else's, whether he knew it or not. And so then thirdly, he goes to Troas. And now here's an interesting thing about Troas. Troas is 400 miles in the opposite direction of everywhere Paul wanted to go. So Paul tries to go to Ephesus, and he gets blocked. He tries to go to Bithynia, and he gets blocked. His only two options are going 400 miles away to Troas or going back the way he came. And so Paul walks for 400 miles towards the place God called him to go. And I want to ask, how do you think that walk was? What do you think Paul was wrestling with? during that walk. What aspects of Paul do you think God had to address for that 400 mile adventure? For Paul to be able to properly go in the right direction God has for him. What in Paul convinced him he should go to Ephesus when God was calling him to Troas? What in Paul convinced him instead to go to Bithynia when God was calling him to Troas? What happened to Paul? Why in this moment do we see a major disconnect between God and Paul for no reason? It's glossed over very quickly in the Bible, and then they move on with the story. But I think right here in this moment, we can unpack a lot of useful information that are going to help me and you face the reasons why sometimes we're not spirit-led. I think we can level with Paul. I think so many of us understand where I'm trying this, I'm trying this, I'm doing this, and it just seems like everything I do is wrong, and God's not calling me to it. Why do I keep failing? Why do I keep not landing right? God, I don't get it. God, speak more clearly. And maybe God is speaking clearly, but we're just not hearing him right. And so I want to pick apart these three areas Paul went to and show what I think was going on with Paul and then go what I think happened in Paul that he finally understood the direction God was calling him. So I'm going to give you two things. Two things if you want to be spirit-led, there are two things you have to sacrifice. There are two things you have to shift out of your life if you want to be a spirit-led Christian. Ready? Here's thing number one. Uh, you must place your own desires to the side to listen to God. Here's the thing with Paul. 
Paul decided at the very beginning, if you read Acts, at the very beginning of his missionary journey, Paul decided he was going to go and minister to all the churches he had already planted. So Paul started off this missionary journey not being guided by God, but being guided by his own desires, right? And so just like Paul had to learn, probably in this 400-mile walk, Paul had to learn, okay, I have to stop doing things according to what I want and begin to instead do them according to God, what you've called me to do. Paul had to wrestle with that and deal with that element within himself. And I think all of us Christians have to deal with that same element as well. You cannot be led by God and led by your flesh. The Bible will constantly tell you they're at odds with each other, uh, that God and your own, our own selfish desires, let's face it, uh, they take us away from God so often. And just like Paul, where Paul, right, I love these people, I want to be with these people. It sounds so good on paper, but it was taking him in the wrong direction. And Paul had to learn to put that aside so he could follow God. Uh, And it's interesting that if you look, how long was Paul going along God's path with the wrong motive? A long time, and God let it happen, and God let Paul keep moving. And then he hit the point where what Paul wanted to do didn't work with what God wanted anymore, and so God stopped. Do you know that sometimes when things don't work out for you, it's the grace of God? Do you know that sometimes it's God's mercy that that relationship didn't work out? It's the mercy of God that you didn't get the job you were trying to get. It's the mercy of God that this friendship fell through. It's the mercy of God that you got kicked out of that house or evicted from that house or you lost that car or this dream died. You know, sometimes it's the mercy of God. It's the grace of God that those things happen because those things would take you so far away from where God wanted you to go and you would end up in a place where you're not satisfied and you're not complete even if you think that thing will complete you you know I have a personal story I like to tell a lot when I was ending high school uh, I decided I was going to go to school for music. I was to become a, a guitar teacher. I was going to work is, work and focus on music. I was going to make my entire life and everything I did, I was going to have it circle around music. And I realized I wasn't trained enough in music to go to school and feel confident about it. And it's funny, I did the intern program at the Church of South Las Vegas. I joined an intern program because my plan was to train under Pastor Rachel, who I don't believe she pastors there anymore, but she used to be their worship uh, pastor. And my plan was to practice under her because she was a classically trained musician. And I figured in that time she could teach me about music and prepare me. And after the intern program, I was going to go to college and I was going to still follow God. I was in love with God. I was going to follow God. Um, and I was going to be a musician. God had a different plan. It's so funny. Uh, the first semester of internship, I tried to join the worship track, and Pastor Stephen looked at me and goes, hey, I think you should do this instead. And so I did a bunch of things, and I remember feeling so homeless, if you will, in this program because I was the only intern that kept jumping between uh, different tracks. I was the only intern that did youth and then kids and then worship and then uh, and then uh, the tech stuff. I was the only uh, intern that circled and did all of it. I was the only one that got thrown around like that. And I remember feeling so disheartened, so underappreciated, so looked over and realizing now the reason why God was doing that to me was because I was going to lead pastor a church. And so I had to learn all of these things where other people didn't have to. But I remember when I finally got into the worship track, something happened. I won't tell the story because it's, it's not flattering to the person that, that 
kind of came against me. But what happened was I ended up having to leave the worship track and they put me in kids ministry. And I remember I was so absolutely offended. I was so mad. I didn't appreciate where I was at. But here's the point. God was taking my desires away and he was teaching me to desire what he desired. And here's the thing, that kids ministry, I learned to pastor there. I learned to preach there. I learned to write lessons there. I learned to build teams there. I learned to build up leaders and give people responsibility. I didn't know those things. I learned them in kids ministry. And while God was preparing me to become a pastor, I was looking at a different calling, a different thing I wanted to do, and I couldn't appreciate where I was at. Every week I would look at the worship team. I would look at my fellow interns, some of whom weren't as good as musicians as I was, watching them on the stage, and I couldn't worship. I would be so angry and wrapped up in my own thoughts because I couldn't put down my own desires because clearly God was having me pick something else up. I asked myself, where would I be if that worship stuff worked out? Not at Boulevard Church. Where would I be if, if I didn't stay in this intern program for two years and get put under pastors and start pastoring a ministry? Where would I be? I don't know. I don't like to think about it because I got with my wife through this process. I have a son through this process. My friendships were built. This church was planted through that process. But God had to teach me to throw my desires down in favor of his. And what I saw as me being looked over, what I saw as me being pushed down, what I saw as me being underappreciated was actually God elevating me, was actually God bringing out my calling, was actually God training me to be who I was called to be, was actually the total grace and mercy and goodness of God showing up. And I think so many of us struggle with that same thing. But if you could stop and look around at this church, look around at Boulevard, look around at this isolation season we've been, look around at what God is giving you to do. And instead of looking for something else to go do, what has he given you? What ministry are you a part of now? What ministry should you be a part of in this church now? And I think what I had to learn and what all of us need to learn is we need to start appreciating where God's placed us rather than being offended that we're not somewhere else. I think Jesus put this perfectly in Luke chapter 14, verse 26 to 33. This is kind of a longer section of scripture, but here is Jesus basically telling people, put down your own desires and follow me. Ready? Luke chapter 14, verse 26 to 33. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise he has laid a foundation and it will not and it will not be able to finish. All who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate uh, uh, whether he is able with 10,000 uh, men to meet him who comes at him with 20,000. And if not, while the other one is yet a far way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Here's the thing, that section of scripture 
Let's face it, guys, let's be honest. That is a terrifying section of scripture to read. That section of scripture says all of your views on family, all of your views on relationships, all of your views on your future, all of your views on your desires, your wants, your needs, all of those things, you need to ball them up and toss them and come follow me instead. And I think many of us would sit here and go, Pastor, I don't do that. I know I'm struggling. I try to, but I keep failing. But listen, it's okay. God will walk you through this. But because you can't let go of your own desire, it's one of the things that stops us from being led by the Spirit. Someone knocked on my door just now. It's probably Amazon. And so I'm just going to keep talking. Being led by the Spirit. Um, what's so crazy about that is if you want to be led by the absolute spirit of God, you're going to have to put your own desires down. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, there was a king and the Bible says that God met him according to the desires of his own heart. And so what, what that means is this man so wanted something. He so desired something. He so was wrapped up in wanting something that when God answered him, God gave him the thing he wanted, but this man never got the calling of God over his life. I don't have the verse on me, but it's one we've referenced a lot. And I'm telling you, um, absolutely. Jesus says it in Luke 14 that oftentimes we'll have to pick what do I want and what do God want? What does God want? Do I want to be led by my flesh, my emotions, my desires, or do I want to be a spirit-led Christian? You're in good company if you struggle with that. Because like I said, here's Paul right now, one of the greatest apostles, one of the greatest movers in the entire New Testament, and he is struggling with this exact same thing. It's okay, but now it's time to move on. It's time to move forward and say, God, I want what you have for my life, not for what I want, not what I want for my life. Amen. Uh, we'll get to the exciting bit, but I got one more thing that's kind of rebuke, and then we're going to move to the funs and the giggles, okay? Uh, one more thing. Uh, when Paul goes to uh, Bithynia, he learns something else. Um, we have to walk away from worldly wisdom so that we can embrace spiritual, godly wisdom. When Paul realizes that God is not giving him his own desires, when God is not sending him to the Ephesus church, that according to the Bible, Paul says, I so desire to be with you. When Paul realizes that, he doesn't get down before God and ask God to guide him. He looks around and he figures this is the most wise thing to do. And he looks at the numbers and he looks at the growth and he looks at the pedigree and he looks at, oh, this is where God's going to move the most. And without asking God, he moves in the direction of what is the a strategic crossroads in the Roman Empire. It makes absolute perfect sense. If we are looking at this from a physical point of view, we look at that and go, absolutely, that was the right choice. But for God, it was the wrong choice. I want to read you another section of scripture uh, that is not exciting, uh, but this is one that we have to embrace. It's so important. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 to 20. Verse 18 says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly 
to God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. What does God say? What does Paul say? If you think you're wise, you have to become a fool so you can be wise, right? Because Christians, we are often called to make decisions that make absolute sense from a spiritual point of view, but make no sense from a worldly point of view. I want to tell you something. For some of you, that college you want to go to, it makes make all the wisdom sense in the world, but it is not God's call for your life. For some of you, that college you're avoiding, it makes absolute wisdom uh, sense in the wise in the area of wisdom to not go to college because you can't afford it. You'll go into debt, but God's calling you to go. For some of you, that person that you are absolutely convinced is the one that they're not the one for you. These friendships that are going to take you places, that career choice, all these things that people look at and go, now you're being smart, is not the wisdom of God. Something that I, I talk about very uh, briefly, not very often, um, is when I first gave my life to Christ and I looked around at the church, um, I was joining the intern program and actually when I was going to join the intern program, I asked all the people in my life if I should. My father um, told me not to go. Uh, the, my, my uncle that lived out in California, my mother, there was no one in my family that said I should do the intern program. There was no one that encouraged it. Actually, every person of significant weight in my life, all of them told me I shouldn't do it. But I knew God, there was something burning in my chest. God told me, you need to do this. Basically, I, cl- I remember closing my eyes and I saw in in God's hands, uh, and this was a me thing, right? I'm a, I believe it was a vision from God, but whatever. I saw a world in one hand, and I saw what I can only describe as a spirit in the other. And I knew that God was telling me, choose the things of this world or choose the things of me. And it's not wise to always deny everyone in your life, right? Um, but this moment, God spoke so clearly. And I said no to everyone in my life that said it. Everyone said, we're not going to help you pay for this. You're going to have to do it by yourself. I didn't have a job. I, I, I had to start scrapping things together and making it happen. And I'll never forget that when I finally see, I didn't have any spiritual authority in my life. When I joined the intern program, I fell under Pastor Stephen. And ever since that moment, I've always made sure to have some sort of spiritual authority. And I've never come into the crossroads ever again, where everyone in my life is telling me not to do something that God called me to do. There was a radical change as I began to walk towards the path that God had for me. Uh, For some of you, you're looking for the chance to rebel against your spiritual authority. That's not what I'm saying. That's not God. I'm talking about what is that thing, that God dream that God has called you to do, if it's not wisdom to the rest of the world, that does not mean it's not the calling God has on your life. When I joined the intern program, my uncle called me. He called me and offered me a job at his company. Here's what he told me. He said, you'll make 40000 a year. I'll pay for your house and I'll pay for your college. And so I was going to get 40000 a year on top of the fact that he was going to pay my way for me. And everyone in my life said, you're an idiot if you don't do that. I had such an option there. I had such an opportunity. But there was it was God screaming within me. It was like my spirit was crying out. There's something greater. There's something grander for you to do. Now, like I told you at this point, I thought it was to become a music teacher. <laughs> right? I was totally wrong. But God used it to guide me in the right direction. I had to say no to the wisdom of the world to pick up godly wisdom. And what God told me was this. If you give these first two years of your life to me, the first free decision you make is to join an intern program and work for a church. I will guide you the rest of your life. And I took that option. I said yes and amen to that. I considered it a tithe. 
The first free decision I made as a grown adult was to go into an intern program. The first decision I made, regardless of what anyone said, was to give a two-year tithing of my life to God. And what happened in exchange, he took the rest of it as well. And now I'm pastoring a church, and I've never left ministry ever since. <laughs> God is so good. Uh, but like I said, just like Paul was struggling, as he goes to the place, this is clearly what God wants. This is the wise decision, but God's not there. Now, what God was telling Paul to do was go 400 miles down this rocky path, walking on foot in the Middle East, <laughs> right? And you're going to walk, and for those 40 mi 400 miles, which I did the math, that's about five or six days if you walk without sleeping. If you only rest to sleep at night, it's about nine to 10 days. And since they probably did more than that, I'm gonna go ahead and say it's probably about two weeks. Imagine for two weeks, you're walking in the heat, not sure of what God is calling you to do. For some of you, you'd say, I've been waiting a lot longer than that. And I would say, maybe it's time to look at your own desires and say, what is blocking me from walking in my call? And then I would say the other thing is just to look at this worldly wisdom. What's the thing that you think is wise, but really it's not what God's calling you to do. Maybe you got a bunch of wisdom from a bunch of people who really aren't submitted to God. And you consider that to be the wise decision. But God's going to tell you to drop that stuff in favor of being led by him. There is no person in this world who did anything of major significance before God who made the wise worldly decisions consistently. They never had the joy of their entire family. They were always ridiculed. They were always mocked. But they changed the world radically. And I believe that in Boulevard Church, I believe there are people like that. I think there are some of you sitting here now, listening to my voice, sitting in the church, just barely, you, you come on Sunday, you drop your tithe and you move on. You're not really doing doing much. Uh, and no offense, I'm not trying to hurt you with when I say this. What I'm saying is I think some of you are called to shake this planet. I am absolutely convinced that there are portions of Boulevard Church that aren't moving because you haven't stood up yet, because you aren't doing what you've called to do. And it's okay. Take your time, but take this to God and say, God, search my heart and remove my desires from me and fill me instead with the desire to follow you and you alone. God, search my mind and remove the things that are wisdom of the world and instead plant the wisdom of your Holy Spirit. As James says, if any of you cry out for wisdom, God will give it liberally. Uh, he will give you the wisdom of the Lord. And Paul struggles with that for 400 miles. And he gets to Troas and suddenly something changes. See, I want to say this to you, and I hope this, I think this is going to speak to someone. Paul's last choice was God's first choice. And I think for some of you, your last choice is God's first choice in your life. I wanna prophetically speak that over your life, that there are some things you are absolutely avoiding doing in the way of ministry in Boulevard Church that you absolutely know you're supposed to pick up, put yourself, your pride, your ego, your desire to be recognized to the side and grab a hold of that. And I think that what you've considered your last choice is God's first choice for you. And I think you'll find you propel and launch off like an arrow that's been pulled back and launch. I think you'll find a launching in your life as you say no to you and say no to this worldly wisdom and say yes to God and say yes to the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And here, I want to I want to break this down for you uh, because we are, listen, you will never be fulfilled unless you walk in what God has for you. We all have a God-sized hole inside of us. This is Christianese at its finest. This is one of those cheesy things that all Christians say, but it's absolutely true. We all have a God-sized hole boiling inside of us, and you will never be satisfied, and you will never be fulfilled until you say no to you and yes to the calling God has on your life.
Let's talk about Paul and Troas. Paul goes to Troas, he closes his eyes, and he goes to sleep at night. I believe he prayed. I believe he finally wrestled these things out of his life. He finally put himself and what he wanted off to the side, and he finally said, God, what do you want? And that night he has a dream. And this man says, come to uh, Macedonia and help us. And then Paul gets up and he travels and the Bible shifts from writing they to we. Here's what happens. Luke got saved here in Troas. Luke wrote the book of Luke. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Here's what most people don't know. The book of Luke and the book of Acts together is 25% of the New Testament. So because Paul finally went the direction he didn't want to go, 25% of the New Testament got written. Here's the next crazy part. He goes from Troas and he sails to Neapolis. From Neapolis, he stops by the Isle of Summerthris and he gets up and he moves to Philippi. Once he lands in Philippi, because he's moving to Macedonia, Philippi is the leading city in the district of Macedonia. You know what happens? The churches of Philippi, the churches of Corinth, and the churches of Thessalonica get planted. You know what that is? That is five books of the New Testament, along with the two books of Luke being written because Paul went in this direction. That is seven books of the Bible that Paul almost missed because he was trying to follow his own path, but God had a better way. Seven books of the New Testament, 25% of Luke's writing. Thessalonica, that's First and Second Thessalonians. Paul writes about end times. We know about the book of Revelation and we understand it better because Paul wrote those books. He lands Philippi. I say, I tell all my leaders this, I believe Philippi is the number one greatest book for leadership in the New Testament. And it was written because Paul landed in Philippi against his own desire. And Corinth, First and Second Corinthians, that's where we learn about the gifts. That's where we learn about love. Have you ever been to a wedding and they read all the section of scripture on love? That's from First Corinthians. We understand love. We understand the gifts. We understand responsibility. We understand church discipline. We understand how we're supposed to operate in a setting that is against God because of First and Second Corinthians. Because Paul went where he didn't want to go. Want to hear the next craziest part? The church of Philippi, right there where he planted that church. You know what they call that area and they still call it that area to this very day they call it the gateway to Europe and I read many theologians many philosophers and actually many historians that don't even believe in God and here's what they say because Paul landed the planted the church in Philippi that church spread out into Europe because it spread out into Europe the Bible got written in English because the Bible got written in English there's the rising of the Catholic Church some good things and bad things happen in that because of the persecution of the Christians in Europe they get on a boat they sail and they land in America because they land in America they start teaching English churches and they start worshiping God freely church I want to tell you something because Paul went to Philippi Philippi Boulevard Church exists. This is the moment that set the pieces in motion for America to worship God. And this is coming from Christian and atheist theologians alike that say this is the moment. What happens? What do you mean? Paul almost missed half of the world coming to Jesus. The Western Church in its existence, seven books of the Bible almost got missed because Paul was chasing his own desires and because Paul was chasing the wisdom of the world. But when he surrendered it, when he gave up himself, he was handed seven books of the New Testament. He was handed the Western church. You and me are saved because Paul would not, or sorry, because God would not let Paul succeed where Paul
Paul wanted to succeed. He made Paul go along the path he had for him. I want to tell you that fulfillment, that satisfaction that Paul has. One of Paul's greatest and closest friends is Luke, his doctor that he got because Paul was forced in a direction he didn't want to go. We need to be spirit-led. I want to ask you, what crazy thing in this city, what crazy thing in this nation, what crazy thing in this world is waiting for you to finally let go of yourself? Is waiting for you to finally let go of this worldly wisdom you've picked up. Is waiting for you to pick up being spirit-led and saying, God, I'm going to follow you and you alone. You know, when the Bible says that Jesus went into the wilderness, it says that the Spirit forced him to the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you know that when Jesus went to the, the well with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, the Bible says that he was compelled by the Spirit to her. The Spirit will guide you in directions that you at first don't think are right because in Samarit Samaritan, that's where Jews aren't supposed to go but he was led there. I got led to being tempted by Satan because I was led by the Spirit, right? But look at all the things that came out of that moment. Look at all the things that happened because Jesus was led by the Spirit into places that he would deem, that any human in their flesh would deem, that was a bad decision. But God had a bigger plan. And I'm gonna tell you, if you want fulfillment, if you want satisfaction, if you really want God to bring you more than you can ask, think, or imagine, you're going to have to be led by the Spirit. It is the only way. So many Christians are depressed and miserable in their Christianity. But I think it's because we can't, if I can be honest, this is something I wrestle with in my own life. I've given you two testimonies of it because we can't get over ourselves. But if you can do that, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. And I want to read you a section of scripture that could be confusing, but it is some of the most beautiful, heartfelt, encouraging section of scripture to exist at all. Ephesians 3, chapter 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This is Paul talking. Um, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all you can ask, think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory and the church. Amen. What is Paul saying? And when you follow God, when you give up of yourself and you follow him, God fills you with faith. He brings you satisfaction. He helps you understand the strength and the breadth and the length and the width and the fullness of the love of God, the love that satisfies men, the, 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 the love that will bring even the hardest of hearts to its knees, crying out, Abba, Father. And he says that you will be filled with the fullness of God who is able to do more than you can ask, think, or imagine. And all of that is for the men and women of God who are led by the Spirit. Because only those led by the Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Do you want love in your life? Do you want to feel loved and you want to be loving? Do you want joy in your life? Do you want peace? Look, list, just list that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We all want all of those things. But in order to get them, we have to say no to ourselves. 
and we have to say yes to God's call. We have to say no to worldly wisdom and say yes to the wisdom of God that is the enemy to the wisdom of this world. And here's what will happen. You'll be satisfied, you'll be content, and you'll be fulfilled. And I believe Boulevard Church will be a big church. I believe Boulevard Church will be a church with wide reach. I believe Boulevard Church will be a church that will absolutely shake these nations to the core. But I don't think it's because of me. I think it's because a group of people, a group of us will rise saying no to self and yes to God and being led by the Spirit in everything we do. I pray wisdom over you. I pray strength over you. I'm excited to talk to you guys in the Q&A in a second. We love you, church. Have a blessed week.